Jesus stood among them and said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. I'm Kara Cardell. And I'm Fred Schellebarger. And you're listening to My Lord and My God, Encountering Christ in the Eucharist. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. As Catholics, many of us are going to be familiar with these words. They're the words that we pray after the consecration, after a little bit of Catholic aerobics. I've heard it called that. I don't know if it's actually that. Yeah, I've heard it called is that, that in like and a bad way. Catholic calisthenics. Well, that's the sit, steal. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> sit, steal. Sit, steal. Kneel. That's a different kind of church. Sit, <laughs> kneel. And yeah. what's the third one? We stand. Stand, yeah. No. Sit. <laughs> Anyways. Sit, kneel, stand. Sit, kneel, stand. Um, but we hear the priest say, behold the Lamb of God as he raises up the the chalice and the bread, which are now actually the, the body and blood of Christ. And he says these words, behold the Lamb of God. What some people might not know is that these words are actually scriptural. They come from the Gospel of John. Uh, it's in John chapter 1. It's verse 29 and verse 36. So it says multiple times, but it's Uh, John the Baptist. And in verse 29, it says that he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Literally what we say at mass. And then again, in verse 36, John the Baptist saying, he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. That part actually really sticks with me. Mm -hmm. Like why would two people hear John the Baptist say, behold, the lamb of God. And they're like, oh, let's follow him. There's like there's something in those words that have meaning to them to those people, right? right? Yeah. And I don't think we really we really understand that. But I do have a, a brief tangent because that's actually what we're gonna get into. We're gonna get into what those mm-hmm. the meaning of these words are. But I have a brief tangent. Um, not really like a frustration. I think this is just kind of like I'm always gonna push this no matter what I'm talking about. I feel like we don't always hear how scriptural the mass is Mm -hmm. so many of the things that the priest says that we respond that the priest is doing you know that we don't hear because he's praying those prayers to himself silently so many of those things come from scripture and we don't have ears to hear it because we don't read scripture right (laughs) so many i think actually as 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 the church has grown in resources like Bible in a year, um, like different forms of praying with scripture, like all the apps, like we've actually gotten a lot better as a church mm-hmm. at getting into scripture. But I just feel like the more God is calling us to have a deeper devotion to the Eucharist, to the Lamb of God, the more he's calling us to just this deeper life of prayer. And that prayer has to include the Bible. Yeah. As a convert, that's one thing that stands out to me as well, because... If you look at the course of three years, mm-hmm. we have the three-year repeating cycle of reading scripture. Yeah, for those who don't know mass. that, actually explain like what that is. So there's selected readings for each day, for each Sunday, and there's a cycle A, B, and C. So over the course of three years, and, and for the most part, you go through the entirety of the Bible. Yeah. There's going to be some sections you're not going to get to. By going to mass. Go, by, mass. Just by going to mass. Yeah. Yes. Um, now, as a Protestant... That was not my experience. Like a lot, a lot as a Protestant, a lot of us knew Scripture well because we took the time to do it on our own, mm-hmm. memorize it on our own. But typically, at most of the services I went to, a lot of the sermons I heard tended to come back to the same Scripture passages mm-hmm. over and over again. So you bring up an interesting point in that 
you know, we, we go to Mass on Sunday. I'd like to think most of us listening, if not all, go to Mass at least every Sunday. We, in theory, hear more Scripture than the average person, in average person mm-hmm. in general, and yet it doesn't necessarily sink in. It doesn't yeah. necessarily resonate with what it means, what, what it actually means. So we might learn like in a children's Bible story sort of way, right. those Bible stories, but not the deeper meaning of what they're actually pointing to. Yeah, I think it requires the action on our part then to go and actually figure out, okay, what is happening here? Right. And the, hopefully we're helping a little bit. The, in the Holy Spirit the is <laughs> teaching us something in that. And, exactly. And I love how you start with St. John the Baptist because that is, that's the words of the priest before we receive communion are those words. Yeah. We, we relive that moment. At every Mass, we relive that moment where St. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so we are those disciples yeah. that now I will go follow him. Mm-hmm. In that moment, we're at the Jordan River. We're relieve, reliving that moment. Well, and our response is, we had a whole episode about humility, but the response is, Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. It's the words of the centurion, but it's also, I think, pulling in John himself, who says, I must decrease, you must increase. Right. So it's all like the spirit of humility as we come to the Eucharist. And so I think that plays a part in understanding Hey, I might not know what's going on at mass and how it's scriptural. Like, let's humble ourselves and be okay admitting that. But then hear God's call. That's fine. Then get to know me in scripture. Just Amen. So ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. St. Jerome, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of my my little tangent for a second. So open up your Bibles. <laughs> if you don't have a Bible, I actually think this is a good point. If you don't have a Bible that makes you excited to sit down and read your Bible, because this is so true for me, it was true for me, go and get one. Um, But if you go and get one, make sure it's a Catholic translation or you're going to be missing seven books. And (laughs) um, that was me like when I was like, I don't have one that is really mine. I didn't know that there were differences. Mm -hmm. And so I went out and bought a New Living Translation Bible. And so I was missing seven books and part of Daniel and part of Esther and things. So just be careful when you buy them. But I think I think that's a good thing. Like if you're going to go get in in scripture, which we should like get excited about it. If you need to go treat yourself, do it. Treat yourself. (laughs) Treat yourself. For any Parks and Rec fans there. <laughs> that was good. Okay. Behold the Lamb of God. This is really the episode today. There's a lot here from the Old Testament as well as Jewish offerings and their liturgical practices that really point to the truth of Jesus as the Lamb. So we're going to go ahead and dive in. Fred, I'm going to hand it off to you because I feel like I've been talking this whole time. Fred, where do you want to start with this? Well, I'm still, I keep going back to those disciples that decided to follow Jesus. And why would they have done that? And I think the reason they would have is for the very reasons that we're about to discuss. Probably mm-hmm. more than we can actually share in 20-some minutes. But Well, yeah, because they actually lived it and like, understood the yeah, connections. Yeah, that's the thing with the words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You know, When we talk about those words, behold the Lamb of God, those words are looking back into history with thanksgiving. They're looking forward with hope. Mm-hmm. They also recognize the power and grace of God at work in the present moment. Mm-hmm. This is the one that they've been looking for. Yeah. And I think we have to start with Abraham, if you're okay yeah. with that. Can I start with Abraham? You can start with Abraham. But you wanted to start with the Passover, <laughs> well, as I recall. I did. Well, we already talked about the Passover. I guess I just wanted... It makes more sense to kind of review. This is building on our previous episodes yeah. where we talked about bread from heaven, right. um, 
and yeah we did the manna then we did i am the bread of life right we touched on the passover in the old testament and their practices and so i kind of wanted to review if anyone you know isn't isn't really like paying attention to the order of it. That's totally okay. But that's what we were but trying Kara to do. But has an order for sure. And so- <laughs> Sorry, I just snorted. Oh you my totally snorted. I do have an order. I get, a blooper I get, that you should leave in just for fun. Um, I get excited about the order because there's a purpose to it. Right. And so we should start at the Passover land because that's the, the bridge here. I don't have a ton. I just, if you haven't listened to the Passover episode, please do. But the Passover lamb does have importance here because Jesus is the new Passover lamb, as he explains. But there are just a couple brief things that I think are important. Um, One of them being that at the Last Supper, which we're going to actually have a full episode on the Last Supper that I'm excited about. But at the Last Supper, when Jesus holds up the bread and he says, this is my body, Mm -hmm. the word that he uses for body uh, in, in Hebrew, it's G-U-P-H. And I always slaughter other other languages, but guf, I don't know, guf. So it's uh, that's the Hebrew word that he says, uh, that he calls the bread his body. And the same word is the word that would be spoken over the body of the Passover lamb. So we like if we don't have ears to hear it, just know that the Jewish people who were in his presence 100% did have mm-hmm. ears to hear right. it. And I think that's so important that he's calling himself the new lamb. Mm-hmm. in this in this scenario yeah um one thing too I, I think is important is that the word he uses again at the last supper when he says this is my blood poured out for you this is something that was important in the jewish understanding or the jewish practice of their offerings and their liturgical rituals um is that so often the blood would have to be spilled out of animals right. and we pour it out. And the temple was actually designed in a way that would help allow that to happen. Yes. And uh, I think it's kind of funny because when we think of a priest in the Bible, it's like we just picture what our priests look like. It's like, right. no, they were just like bloody all day. <laughs> yeah. That was their job. It was hardcore. It was hardcore. Yeah. yeah. But the word that was used in Greek, uh, in the Greek Old Testament for pouring out is eskeo. And this is the word that was used for sacrifice for these Uh, liturgical offerings of the Jewish people to sacrifice blood. So here's Jesus saying this when he's holding up the wine, this is my blood poured out for you. It's a sacrifice. And if you're sitting around the table in that moment, like he's not being sacrificed. What are you talking about? You're sitting right here. This is your blood. So they have this ear and this, this um, understanding of what he's saying. Right. And I think that's so important because we don't always have it, but hopefully this is this is helpful. Yeah, I think this goes back to those disciples. Once again, I'm going to keep yeah. coming back there. No, that's a good. And then if we could circle back to Adam and Eve, I think I probably want to do that. Let's do it. I'll try to make this make sense. But, I, th- it, you know, we, we talked previously when we talked about the Passover, all the symbolism, how it points to certain things. And, you know, I mentioned those two disciples and how they would have recognized the meaning in those words. I think we also have to recognize that, like some historians will point to the fact that when the Passover lamb was killed, it would be nailed to a cross-like structure and skinned and butchered. And if you can imagine how horrifying a sight Jesus on the cross would have been. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. He's got the crown of thorns. Mm -hmm. He was naked. Like we have a very sanitized, our crucifixes are typically a lot cleaner. Like where's all the blood? (laughs) Than it actually would have been. Yeah. It would have been hard for them not to be reminded of the lamb. The lamb. Yeah. And 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 in turn, those words of Saint John the Baptist, what that meant. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh. 
that's what's happening here on the cross. This right. is that lamb. Well, we're going to we're going to get into a little bit more on the last supper, but one thing I do want to say is uh this uh, what you're referencing Fred Justin the Martyr, he's he wrote about this. He said that the Passover lamb would be roasted in the form of a cross. And we mentioned this in the last episode, but in scripture, when Jesus tells his disciples, "Go and prepare the lamb" or "Go and prepare the the meal," the word he uses is pascha and it's used for the lamb. So they had preparations they had to go do and for the lamb. And I have a whole, I'll have a whole thing I'll get into mm-hmm. when we talk about later. Cause some people say there was no lamb. Jesus is the lamb. Um, and the people who have taught me are very clear in their belief that there was a lamb, uh, but they had to go and prepare the lamb. And the way that they did that was exactly in the form of a cross. And so in seeing exactly what you're saying, Fred, and seeing Jesus on the cross, sacrificing himself right after the night he uses all of the sacrificial language to describe himself as the new lamb. It would have been like a light bulb hits them in that moment. We don't always see how those threads fill, but a light bulb hits them. And Paul actually writes specifically that Jesus is the new lamb in first Corinthians. He says, Christ, our Paschal lamb Mm. has been sacrificed. And then he says, therefore, let us keep the feast. Right. It's easy to hear the words of scripture and think, oh, that's like, it's just in there. Yeah. But like the church teaches, scripture reveals all the truths that are necessary for our salvation. So whenever you read the Bible, (laughs) my my first pastor used to say, you can't just read the Bible. You have to read the Bible, mm-hmm. meaning like there's nothing in there that's just incidental, you know, yeah. and you see that you mentioned um, blood needing to be poured out. Right. And we see in scripture as well, Romans six twenty three reminds us the wages of sin is what, Kara? Death. Death. The wages of sin is death. We see that right from the very beginning, this idea of sacrifice, of the spilling of blood being needed to atone for sins. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will, will point back to the time of Abraham and such for this, but I think you even see this with Adam and Eve. Yeah. After their sin, first of all, they do the same thing we all do. They sin, they fall in uh, to doing something they shouldn't have, choosing against God in pride. What do they do? The woman you gave me. So mm-hmm. Adam blames <laughs> yeah. the woman. He blames somebody else. Then he blames God. Mm-hmm. And what does Eve do? She blames the devil. Serpent, Those are the yeah. three classic cop-outs for sin. But Genesis 3.21 has an interesting line. God make, made garments for them to cover them. It says he uses skins from animals. Can you get skins without making a sacrifice? Can you make okay. skins without spilling a blood? So it almost like in that I see, and this is where we can kind of speculate in scripture. Yeah. Like God himself is in that moment spilling Spilling blood blood. to make atonement for their sin. To cover them in their shame. To cover Mm -hmm. them in their shame. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what Christ does? Yeah. Isn't that the point of the the cross and his sacrifice for us on our behalf? So we see even from the very beginning, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if that animal was a lamb. It just would seem fitting. Yeah, it would seem fitting, yeah. And when we use the word atonement, because we're going to use that a couple times, I'm sure here, atonement is basically like you are repairing the damage that has been done by turning right. away from God and by sinning. And we see this, and I know we're going to get into Abraham a little bit, um, but we see this in Mo- with Moses after all of Israel has worshipped the golden calf. Moses goes up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and scripture says, perhaps I can make atonement for your sins. Mm. And Moses goes up and he, he prays for them. Yeah, well, it's, I mean... You see Abraham sacrificing, making sacrifice for 
sins and for atonement. But I think ultimately it goes back to these words, the callback here, behold the Lamb of God, Mm -hmm. goes back to Abraham and the promise he was given and what God asked of Abraham despite that promise. Yeah. Now, Carrie, you're a big Abraham fan. I do like Abraham. (laughs) The president of the Abraham fan club. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I think one thing that I find really, really beautiful is just, I always, I always go to his unbelief and maybe unbelief isn't the right word, but I always go to like, God gave him this promise that he would have a great nation in order to have a great nation. You need an heir. He did not have an heir. Hmm. And he kind of went around his wife while Sarah helped him go. His wife helped him go around her, but he went around and kind of did it on his own and had Ishmael. But then he obviously um, had a, a son through his wife, Sarah, and that son is Isaac. And what I think is is um, beautiful is this difference in his faith from trying to kind of make it happen on his own to then he has this son who is God's promise. And then God says, go and sacrifice this son. Right. It's like, what are you talking about? Right. You told me yeah, I'd have this yeah. great nation. Like how, yeah. how would me sacrificing my son do that? And yet he, he does it. He listens. Yeah. He goes in and is prepared Holds to do it. Holds nothing back. Yeah. Right? Abraham is a lesson in, yes, God made you a promise, but it doesn't mean that promise won't be tested. Yeah. It doesn't mean there won't be struggle. What was Abraham's promise in Genesis 12 to make him a great nation, to give him a great name and to make him and his descendants a blessing to the world. Mm-hmm. Yet he had no son, yet he had that promise and he, he went off to a place. He had no idea where he was going right. and he was tested. There was trials twice. If I remember correctly, he gave Sarah, his wife away mm. And God had to clean up that situation. It was to keep him out of trouble when that happened. And yet when we we read the account of Abraham in the New Testament, what's remembered his his in his Hebrews faith. eleven, his great faith. Yeah. And it, it talks about how he doesn't waver, yeah. his steadfast faith. Yeah. And so I think there's a lesson in that too, like in the midst of our own struggles, our story still being written. Yeah. And it you may struggle, you may falter. But ultimately, yeah, it's your the victories that will be remembered. I like and that. Live on. And it it allows for the redemption because I tend to go to where he what like didn't listen to God. Right. And if you're curious about that, go listen to our our new show. I see a movement. It's episode three where we talk about the virtue of hope, and I share kind of my testimony of specifically with Abraham. But I think that points to like how we can be redeemed because it's almost like Kara stop looking at the fall because later he was so faithful beyond belief. Mm-hmm. Um, but so this, the authors of scripture do intentionally bring us to connect Jesus and Isaac, um, even in just very simple ways, like in the gospel of Matthew, we always kind of gloss over the genealogy there at the beginning, but in the gospel of Matthew, the genealogy of Jesus Christ begins with son of Abraham right. uh, and who's the actual son of Abraham. It's Isaac. And so Matthew himself is wanting to link Jesus to Isaac um, in this passage in Genesis 22 with Abraham binding Isaac in faithfulness. Uh, Isaac is called Abraham's only son whom he loves. Right. So there's that connection to the baptism yeah. when God comes down and says, Behold, this is my beloved son. And and here, I think this very reason where we get these words that behold the lamb, actually what it's pointing back to, this very passage that I'm going to read is why we remember, why scripture remembers Abraham 
the way it, do, way, way it does. So Genesis 22, 1 through 2 says, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. That's funny in scripture how they always say, Here am I, anytime. <laughs> Anyways. Um, it's like our version of what's up. Yeah. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, of which I shall tell you. Now, that's the promise. He received his his promise, at least in a way, but he's being offered to sacrifice that. And scripture goes on to say, after three days journey, he, he took the wood, he took his servants, he took Isaac, and on the way up the mountain, he says, I and the lad will go and worship and come again to you. Abraham was told to sacrifice his son, and yet here in this moment, Abraham says, I and the, I and the boy will come back to you. Mm-hmm. That's like, faith. that is faith. Mm-hmm. That is hope in the resurrection. That is hope in God gave me the son. He made me a promise. Yeah. And he might ask me to sacrifice him, but he's going to bring him back. Somehow. Yeah. Somehow. Mm-hmm. And I, I just think that's that's profound. And then on the way up the mountain, Isaac says, we have the wood, but there's no lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham says, God will provide himself the lamb for a burnt offering. God himself will provide mm-hmm. the lamb. Yeah. And that that's what's coming to mind in these words. Behold the lamb Behold of God. The lamb. Yeah. Yeah. And in Isaac's question alone, like he says, behold the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb? And before that, it says that Abraham places the wood for the offering on Isaac's back. Sometimes when we picture this uh, account in scripture, I think we all picture a little boy. Like Abraham is sacrificing his little son, Isaac. He was not little. Mm -hmm. He could carry wood. He he knew that you needed a lamb for the sacrifice. He made the trip up. So when Abraham is binding his son for the sacrifice, he could have fought back. Right. He could have taken his old his old man down, you know. I'm pretty confident my twelve year old son. Would fight back if I yeah. if he realized I was trying to sacrifice him. Who wouldn't? Right, like that's a normal thing. And so I think the connection here with Isaac and 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 Jesus goes even further. Like they were both willing sacrifices, right? Or even that Isaac also, like Jesus had hope in the resurrection. He knew it was to come. Perhaps Isaac, just like his father Abraham, knew that somehow God's promise would still be faithful, and he mm. was a willing sacrifice in this. And what I think is so beautiful is, you know, he says, "Where's the lamb?" Abraham is so confident God will provide the lamb. And so right before Abraham is going to sacrifice his son, the angel comes and stops him. Very emphatically, Abraham, Abraham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He says it twice. He says, do not lay your hand on the lad Mm -hmm. and do anything to him, right? So actually that alone is like no broken bones, unblemished. He he doesn't have a hand laid on him. Lots of typology there. So much typology there. But then as he does this, Abraham, scripture says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So just like you said, Fred, Abraham knew that God was going to provide the lamb, but a ram is not a lamb. Yeah. They're the same animal. Yeah, they're both a sheep. Yeah. But a ram is a grown male sheep, and a lamb is a baby sheep. So God provided Abraham with an animal to sacrifice Mm -hmm. to spill the blood, but he had not yet provided the lamb. And when does he provide the lamb? In Jesus Christ, 
Jesus was mm-hmm. an unblemished sacrifice, also caught in the thicket when he <laughs> right. had the crown of thorns placed on his head. There's yeah. so much typology here, which is so beautiful. But Abraham, in a way, is also offering the sacrifice or willing to, maybe I shouldn't say the sacrifice. He's binding Isaac to prepare mm. to atone yeah. for his unbelief, to show God, I believe you. Yeah. So when we hear these words, behold the Lamb of God, they call to mind Abraham's words. They call to mind that story. And they also call to mind the story that really plays out through all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. That 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 lamb ref- analogy, typology, keeps coming back, and you see those patterns of salvation history yeah. play out. Yeah, he always he always talks about sheep, lamb. He's the good shepherd. All of, all of it. It's really beautiful. But one thing that I want to I want to talk about as well, because Jesus, when we when we say he is the Passover lamb, or when we say, "Behold, the Lamb of God." I had never really had like a profound encounter with mass. And there was one time where I was in college at this point. And there was one time where um, I had been doing a full summer of ministry and every single day we would go to daily mass. And so like I had, you know, been to mass, I don't know how many times this during the summer. And it was the very last week of this ministry. And I was sitting there and for the very first time I heard the words, behold, the lamb of God. I've been to mass all my life. But it was like for the very first time I heard the words, behold, the Lamb of God. And it was like in that moment, those words actually meant something because it was like, wait, people would sacrifice a lamb to atone for their sins. Behold, Mm -hmm. the Lamb of God. It was like God, the father sent his son for the purpose of sacrificing him to atone for me. Like it was just this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Exactly. Yeah. It was, that's John 3, 16. It was like the most beautiful moment and it just like hit me so hard. And so looking like how nerdy I get then is then looking back on like what some of these things of lamb mean. Like for us, it's. Jesus. Jesus is this lamb and God sent him as a sacrifice. But when people would hear John the Baptist say, behold, the lamb of God, and they're like, oh, I'm going to go follow him. There's a reason. And one thing that I love, and and Fred wants to talk about this beautiful connection, which I think is so beautiful. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about the the atonement for sins offering in Leviticus. Fred always jokes Leviticus is the book you read when you want to go to sleep. (laughs) It's a little bit dry. I totally get it. However, the book of Leviticus in and of itself is proof that God cares how we worship. It he does. cares about liturgy. He cares about liturgy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's a right way to do it and a wrong way. Yes. So in the book of Leviticus, there is an offering that the people were to make to atone for your sins. So before this is in Exodus 29, it says, every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. And Leviticus 4 gets into kind of how, how you do that. And if you offer a different animal, if you're a different person atoning for a different sin, whatever. So in Leviticus 5, though, it says, if you are too poor and you do not have a bull for this offering, you can offer a lamb. And then it goes on to say, and if you are too poor to have a lamb, and it goes through, and the last one says, you may offer grains of wheat. And I think there's connection there, even even to like what we were talking about with the manna in the desert, the bread in the flesh, or Mm. um, when you're talking about the multiplication of the loaves and fish, the bread in the flesh. And in the Eucharist, we have the bread that is the flesh. So here it's like, this is the offering that no one can be denied because it goes through, if you are too poor for a bull, offer Mm. a lamb. If you are too poor, offer wheat. And it's like, Jesus calls us in scripture, Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. He calls all of us to be poor. 
So Jesus upon the cross, I love this. Like he gives the poor man's offering right. to atone for our sins as the lamb and then still in the Eucharist right. as the grain. If, if I could, even like at the very beginning, you see that same dynamic in Cain and Abel. Yeah. Abel offered what? Basically the grain. Mm -hmm. That was his best. He gave his best. Cain offered his animal. He made an animal sacrifice. You see that same grain, flesh and dynamic. And God prefers Abel's. And God prefers Abel's because of where the heart was. Right. So even then, like even then and from like from the beginning, God cares how we worship. Yeah. And a lot of it is about our heart, but you still see that same dynamic at play from the very beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So there are connections there with Jesus and and the lamb in atonement for our sin. And then Fred, I want you to get into yours because you get kind of nerdy about this. What's the last connection we'll make for this episode? We have a tendency, Kara, if I'm not mistaken, to, I mentioned it earlier actually, to pass blame when we sin, correct? All the time. All the time. Never, never, I mean. yeah, never. never. Adam and Eve, we we mentioned do that, but in the Old Testament, we actually see God does the same thing in a way, but He reverses it. Okay. And what I mean by that is He acknowledges the fact that there is blame for sin, but He gives us, in a way, someone we can pass that blame onto, in the form of something called the scapegoat. You mentioned Leviticus. Leviticus sixteen is actually where this comes from. Leviticus sixteen, we find. The, the liturgy for the Day of Atonement, we tend to dismiss Leviticus because it's very ceremonial, it's very prescriptive, it's very dry. It's repetitive, too. It's very repetitive. Mm -hmm. But what's fascinating about those those liturgies, the, the rituals, of course, obviously, we established the fact that the Lord cares how we worship, but all of them had some deeper symbolic meaning that pointed to something significant that would be fulfilled later. And Going back to those disciples you mentioned at the beginning, I think they could recognize that if they had eyes to see and ears to hear, like the Lord always says. Yeah. Anyways, so Day of Atonement, the high priest would take two goats that were of similar look, similar age. Typically, they would be related. And one of them would be declared, they'd cast lots. One of them would be declared the the for the sacrifice, mm -hmm. for the Lord. The other would receive the designation of the scapegoat. And what would happen with the scapegoat is after that, the other was sacrificed, that scapegoat would be turned to face the people, and the priest would pray over that scapegoat and, and really confess the sins of the people over that scapegoat, almost like he was placing all of the sins on the, on the goat. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we use that word scapegoat all the time when we blame someone else. Right. But here it has, like in the actual scriptural root of that word, it actually means something beautiful. It actually means something pretty significant. And then that scapegoat would be led out of the town mm -hmm. and into the wilderness where the wilderness would have its effect <laughs> on the goat. Yeah. One thing that's fascinating is you see this also in scripture where Christ is our scapegoat in yeah. a sense. Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. Now, some translations will, inter will it'll read, surely he has borne our sins. Mm -hmm. Psalm 103, 12, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins from us. So in a very real way, not only is he that 
that lamb, but he's also the one who bears our sins and takes them away from us. Yeah. Absolutely beautiful. I would love to dive into this more, Kara. And I kind of would like for this to be a bonus episode where we really look at this idea of the scapegoat. But in a way, you, you have the same thing happening with Jesus, the son of the father. Right. And Barabbas, which in Hebrew means son of the father before Pilate and all the people. Yeah. And it's like the same when uh, what you were saying with the goats. So one is for the sacrifice. Mm -hmm. One, the sins are placed upon that one and is sent into the wilderness. It's almost like how it is in all of scripture. Jesus is the fulfillment to all of the Old Testament. So it's like you can't say which one's the sacrifice and which one is the scapegoat because Jesus is both. Right. Barabbas is not. Right. So Jesus is the sacrifice on the cross, and he's the one who we're placing our sins on. Right. So he, like, he's the fulfillment of this Jewish practice. It's really yeah. beautiful. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. Also with this idea of the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, we talked about this being the story of all of Scripture. We see the story of the Lamb of God begin in the book of Genesis with the sacrifice of Abel and of Abraham. We also see it ends in the book of Revelation when we see the Lamb of God who sits on the throne of heaven, who is the one who opens the seals of God's judgment on the world, but he's also the source of God's mercy and love. Mm. It's all about the Lamb. Yeah. Now connecting it to the Eucharist. That's how we receive the (laughs) mercy and love. And that's how we receive God's mercy and love. There we receive him body, blood, soul, and divinity the flesh and the grain, Mm -hmm. just like we've been saying. He is our Passover lamb for our salvation. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider helping us to make more content like this available by going to our website, which is drawnear.me. Hit the support button in the top right and become a patron.